Episode 250, Bonus Edition, Interview with Julie Warner. I'm Lance Key, co-host of Get Inspired and Innovate, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey y'all, welcome to the Empowering Educators Podcast. I am Gretchen, your host and expert lesson learner. I'm a national board certified elementary teacher turned teacher, trainer, and coach. All the lessons I've learned and am learning on my edgy journey, I share with you right here. From every silly mistake to the most glorious successes, you're gonna hear stories and strategies that will inspire you to become your best. I have to warn you, as an educator, I can't help but hold you accountable for doing the work. So every episode, I leave you with practical, tangible next steps so you can implement your learning and maximize your impact. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, there's always a lesson if you're willing to pay close attention. Elite educators, that's the secret to staying empowered. Bring on today's lesson. Hey y'all, it's Gretchen from Always a Lesson. I am ready to empower you. I want you to reach your potential. I have invited another elite educator onto the podcast. And as you know, an elite educator means someone who takes the time to invest in themselves, goes above and beyond. You are one of those people. You're listening to a podcast right now. You're about to learn from another one. And I think that that is the greatest job on the planet to be able to do this with you and for you. So today's guest, her name is Julie Warner. Let me tell you a little bit more about her before we dive into the conversation. Julie Warner has left the classroom fewer than 10 years ago, close enough that she can still vividly remember her first few rocky years with their emotional and logistical landmines, but long enough to have had a career in education since then that includes obtaining a doctorate in education from Teachers College at Columbia University, stints as an education policy advisor in the U.S. Senate and the White House, and overseeing the teacher issues portfolio within the U.S. Department of Education's internal think tank. So even as she's advised on high-level policy decisions in education, she has always stayed close to the classroom. She's a national board-certified teacher, has published books on teaching with technology, and is a freelance education writer. I am so excited to share with you our conversation, so let's dive in. Hey, Julie, thanks so much for being a guest here on the Empowering Educators podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I call the audience elite educators, and I truly feel you are one of those people, someone that just goes above and beyond, is super passionate about their job, and is willing to give back. And so I know a lot of what we're going to cover today is going to be super impactful for everyone else's journey. They can lean in and listen and maybe learn a tip or two. So I'm going to dive right in if you're fine with that. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I think it's important to share how you and I got acquainted because I think it's a lesson in how to grow your own PLN. So fill us in. How did you connect with me? Yeah, well, I am no longer in the day-to-day life of the classroom teacher, but it's my passion. And in order to stay plugged in, I do that is listening to education podcasts. And yours has been one of my favorites, especially (laughs) throughout COVID, I was so curious about how teachers were coping and kind of what the messaging was from those folks that were 
in support roles like I feel like you are. Mm-hmm. And you were just so uplifting and motivating. And uh, that was that was a real draw for me to, to keep listening. Well, thank you so much. And she was willing to just say, hi, I think I have a few ideas I'd like to share. Are you willing to chat? And after reading through some of her things, I'm like, yes, I think what you're doing is great. Yes, come on, let's let's talk and let's let everyone else listen in because it's not just about you and what you did with your journey and it's not just about me. It's about how we can help everybody else. So I'm so glad that you were willing to do this. And so you alluded to this a little bit already. Where did you start in education? What did you teach? And then how did you get to where you are now? Well, I started my career in education in 2004 as a high school English teacher, and I'm a national board certified teacher. I was really, really into the practice, and while I was a high school teacher, I was also doing professional development through the National Writing Project, and so I was coaching teachers with what they used to call writing across the curriculum, but I would go into a math teacher's classroom Mm -hmm. and help them sort of infuse writing and literacy into math curriculum or science and just love that work. But it got me interested in doing more than just what I was able to do in my role as a classroom teacher. And so I left that work to pursue a doctorate in curriculum and teaching. And in my doctoral studies, I focused a lot on educational technology. When I was a high school English teacher, we had, you know, three computers in the back of the classroom. We would take kids to the computer lab. It seems really antiquated (laughs) now, that kind of model. But it was right when ed tech was new. And I was just fascinated with all the possibilities that educational technology could hold for literacy instruction. So that's what I studied in my doctoral studies. I looked at what young people were doing with smartphones, and that was really a great time in my life. I was an ethnographer. I got to go and live in a community that was opening a one-to-one iPad school, which was just you know super novel at the time. Mm-hmm. In this really low-income community, the high school there had a 50% dropout rate, and I thought, I have to see what happens when they just drop iPads in here. I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be pretty. (laughs) You know, no support for teachers, no support for students. It's just like, let's, and and of course, a lot of the kids didn't have internet at home. So they're hauling around these, you know, useless metal bricks at the end of the day. Um, So I ended up publishing a book on that research and that helped me to pivot a little bit. I um, taught at the college level for a few years, composition one and two and um, internet ethics, uh, a slew of interesting courses, and then got a job at the US Department of Education in DC in their internal think tank. So I was working essentially as a researcher at the Department of Ed uh, in during the Obama administration and after that, I worked as an education policy advisor for a senator and then worked on education policy in the White House. And I'm now in a new role in a federal agency where I manage a learning agenda that focuses on data literacy. So I'm still doing some education focused stuff, but it is quite, quite different, quite, um, quite broad compared to, to what I used to do. But 
it's yeah, it has been a really interesting journey and it's it's a lot of fun. It is. It's really cool. So when you were in the classroom, what made you say, I have to have a different kind of impact. This is not where my story ends. What was happening in your mind at that time? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that I found that, yeah, it was just like you're saying, you can have a lot more impact if you're working with teachers rather than directly with students. It's just sort of exponential. I guess that's arguable, right? I mean, your work directly with students could be certainly more impactful than even with a hundred teachers, I guess. But that, that was how I felt at the time. You know, if you could help to influence one teacher's practice, you're, you know, you're having influence with potentially 30 plus students, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I really love the work of curriculum design and coaching teachers. It's, you know, it's just a passion of mine. I love teachers. I love teachers' hearts. And so being able to work with teachers was a really big draw for me. And then just curriculum design and teacher coaching is so creative. And, uh, you know, that problem solving element, those were big draws for me. I found at this point in my career, kind of the things that attract me to different career paths are always the same. It's working with people and problem solving and being able to use creativity Absolutely. I love everything you're saying because I 100% agree. It's where my heart lies too. When you're working with all of these teachers, did you pick up on a specific characteristic that nails it? Like that, that's a great educator right there. I, I might be a little bit biased toward my own view of what I think impactful, meaningful teaching looks like. And for me, that was always connecting with students, even above imparting the concepts that, you know, you're ostensibly there being paid to impart. If students don't know that you see them and don't know that you care on a human level, (laughs) then no one's going to learn anything, first of all. But whenever I hear people talk about the teachers that made a difference in their life or that they remember, it was always that thread that appeared that, you know, this teacher recognized me, this teacher saw me, this teacher saw something in me. And so those are the kind of teachers that I really respect. And that was the kind of teacher I really wanted to be. I didn't really care what my test scores looked like as long as everyone knew that, you know, I was trying my best and I, I saw each and every one of them. Yeah. That connection piece is important and the value of helping people and not just um, kind of the academic to-do list that we can have as teachers to really, it's human-human connection. So I, I that resonates with me. I'm wondering, as your journey evolved into different roles to impact teaching in a, in a different angle, was there a lesson that you learned that you thought, wow, I wouldn't have had that had I not had this opportunity? Oh, for sure. I came to DC without any background in education policy. I didn't even have any doctoral coursework on policy and I had the most superficial understanding of the legislative process. And so the first couple of years I felt like a high school teacher on an extended field trip, just getting to find (laughs) out how the sausage was made. And each time I took on a new role, and they were all vastly different, even though they centered on education. I mean, some were dealing with budget, some were, you know, doing statistical modeling, some were, you know, writing legislation. I really had to learn on the 
job on the fly. And I thought it was some big secret that I didn't know what I was doing. And I must have tricked somebody into letting me advise a senator or, <laughs> you know, let me set an education budget for the entire country. Mm-hmm. And what I came to realize working across all of those roles is not knowing what you're doing is kind of the point. And that confusion has to come before you learn how to do something and then to affect any kind of, of change. So that was a big light bulb moment for me just to figure out if you know what you're doing, you might be stagnant. But if you're uncomfortable or a little out of your depth, you're you're really growing. Oh, that's good. I agree with that. Well, I know you're a listener of the podcast, so you know this already, but we've got a variety of people listening. So some like you, we call them teacher leaders. We do have some newbies, um, even some people transitioning into a different role or in distress, especially with the pandemic. So if you could pick one category of those people to give a piece of advice to, who would you pick and what would you tell them? Yeah, I think I would always advocate for as much self-care as you can find time for or personally muster. I've I've been really concerned of seeing the COVID-19 pandemic play out in the landscape of the education system. And I've just been noticing how the brunt of everything is falling on the shoulders of teachers, um, you know, let's all overnight transition to remote learning. Okay, just kidding, I'm gonna do hybrid next week. I don't know how I would have coped personally, and I'm in awe of any teacher that's been able to hang in there these past couple of years through this. And it's been really interesting for me to get to see how this is working and what people are actually doing and my heart is just full seeing how the resilience is there with these educators. And I don't even know if I have a specific piece of advice other than to not forget to take care of yourself. I know just in a normal, in normal times in my own work as a teacher, I put myself last and I would be in the classrooms from literally before the sun came up and I would be there when the sun went down doing after school activities. So, you know, it's really easy to get super wrapped up, say yes to everything and think, okay, well, self-care comes last. I mean, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating properly. You know, a lot of times teachers don't get time to even use the restroom between classes. So to really kind of be as selfish as you can muster would be my advice. And not many people give that advice, but us veterans know you can't sustain a career working at that pace. And I know especially newer teachers can want to be the first one in the building, last one to leave. Um, Especially in the pandemic, all of us are trying to quickly recreate the wheel and you just are running out of time. And and then your health is at risk because of the pandemic, plus just the exhaustion and the stress of everything changing last minute. And so I love that you are validating that it is normal to feel this way and that it is okay to take a break and whatever that looks like for you. So I, I, I just appreciate you um, being vulnerable and honest and saying, you know, if this is something you truly love, you got to take care of yourself first. Hey, y'all, popping in here real quick to remind you, if you are loving the podcast, 
hop on over to iTunes to leave a star rating and type in a few words for the review. This helps other educators find the show so they too can be empowered. Lots of love and thanks. Now back to the show. It's so true. And it's hard not to remember that it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? And (laughs) that you've got to put, you know, your mask on before you put other people's on, as they say, because you just won't have it in you to do what you want to do later if, if you don't. Right. And I know we keep talking about your you coaching and mentoring other people, but do you have someone that coaches and mentors you to continue growing? I do. I Well, I have a, a whole array of folks. I think I got this idea from the Harvard Business Review article back in the day, but I, I was really into um, women's career coaching and one thing they said was women need to have a board of directors because we have a lot of unique issues that we come across in our career and we need a vast array of folks to consult. So I've noticed, you know, if I have a particular kind of problem, one mentor might come to mind over another. And so, yeah, I would really advocate for figuring out um, a, a lot of different folks that can be in a mentor kind of role for you because nobody can be you know, everything to one person. You've got people that you look up to for a variety of reasons that you can create a relationship with and hopefully go to when you've got a specific issue. You know, I didn't know that when I first started. I thought a mentor was someone who just could answer every question I had and was just great at teaching everything. And so, yep. yeah, you're acknowledging that you can, one, pick your own mentor, even if you're assigned somebody. And it could be multiple people who all are great at one thing. Everyone has their own expertise. And as you grow and develop, your mentors will change because you're looking for people that have different skill sets and um yeah, I, I agree with that too. So um, one thing I like to do, and you might get a little embarrassed about this, but I do like for you to share a little bit about our classroom memory or maybe even a leadership example of, I call it an, a best all-star moment because I think this really helps us get ideas for what we can try in our own buildings and hearing the success of someone else and maybe try and replicate it is helpful. So do you have a moment that stands out as like that best moment of all time for yourself? Yeah, I do. And this might seem a little bit off kilter from, you know, what my background was, but I, when I was pursuing my doctoral studies, I took a part-time job in Harlem as a GED teacher and I didn't have a background in every subject, you know, to be able to, to really teach that well. Um, I, I taught early in the mornings in an elementary school classroom, that cross subject matter, uh, you know, kind of coursework to get students ready to take the GED test and get their high school equivalent, um, you know, um, high school equivalency. And every single one of my students was an adult. I hadn't worked with adult learners other than teachers. Um, and they were all Haitian immigrants and they weren't there to learn the GED course content, I later found out, but instead to pick up and practice English. And I had never taught English as a second language, or you know, I didn't think of myself as a language instructor, um, but it was amazing. I really felt like I was making a difference, even though I was completely unprepared, probably bumbling, um, but their GED test scores ended up being great, too, so I really... That was a that's an all star kind of teacher moment for me, even though it 
it doesn't really relate to my background and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense on my resume either, but. But I think it encourages us to take risks. You put yourself in a new situation, even though you had never really thought that you might be qualified or have the background to do it. And because of that, it stands out to you as like, I'm so glad I did this. It's a a huge piece of my puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned your book before. Do you have another current project that you're working on right now in education? Yeah, I do. Um, So not, I think it was a couple of years back, I had been thinking about this idea of what we can learn as teachers from the mistakes that we've made. I found that in conversations with my friends that or fellow educators, that was something that came up a lot. We would talk about, you know, things we wish we would have done differently or some kind of critical moment where everything shifted for us and we either realized what was really important or really figured out how to do something well in the classroom. And so that gave me the idea for this book that brings together firsthand stories from classrooms of these kind of hard won lessons that stem from teachers' mistakes and maybe outright failures. Some of them are small and some of them are colossal. So yeah, this book is called Failure Before Success. Teachers describe what they learn from mistakes. Mm. And it's it's a really engaging read. You get to through reading the experiences of I think twenty plus veteran teachers and education experts. I've got uh Finnish education global advisor um teachers national teachers of the year um you know all of these folks that i really looked up to who talk about in this book their mistakes their failures and you get a peek behind the curtain and in this sense that no one's perfect even these folks that you really look up to that you think maybe just kind of sprung fully formed into the classroom, like knowing exactly what to do. No, they started in the exact same place as you and not even started. I mean, some of us are still in that learner mindset, reflective understanding where our need for growth is and understanding that resilience coming from, you know, being able to look at our mistakes and our failures and say, oh, well, this is really a generative thing to look at to help me figure out how to be better. And that's that's really what the book is all about. It's it's kind of an instruction manual and kind of a long, relieving talk with your trusted mentor. <laughs> I like this because it, it makes everyone realize, like you said, no one's perfect. Um, but that failure is important if you want to grow. And I think, especially when I started teaching or anytime I start a new role, you want to be perfect because you kind of want to prove yourself. I don't know, proving yourself to yourself or just to other people, but you feel this need to just know it all and you better not make a wrong move and it could be devastating. And really what you're saying is without it, you don't grow, you don't get better. And so if we are truly trying to be lifelong learners, then you have to take that risk. You have to embrace failure and look at it as an opportunity that that didn't work. What do I need to do differently? Problem solve through it, learn your lesson and move forward. And I think it's encouraging when 
You're hearing that story from, like you said, Finnish educators who are doing amazing things. Um, I would listen. I would perk up and say, okay, you know, they know what they're talking about and they lived beyond their failure. And that is such an encouraging message. Yeah, I, I, I think it's really sad kind of how teachers are expected to be perfect and to have all of the answers, right? You're supposed to be the sage on the stage and as a beginning teacher, I was terrified people were going to figure out that I was way in over my head. And a lot of us start at 22, 23, right? Mm -hmm. And we are babies. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that much older than my high school students are that much more worldly. And being vulnerable was not somewhere I was wanting to go, not even in front of my assigned mentor. I didn't want to show someone that was chosen by the school to act in a mentorship role that I didn't know what I was doing. And I think even you being able to put collectively all these people in one place and make it an easy read is certainly like now the summer is a perfect time to do that. Um, That's when we're recording. I know this will come out later, but it's another great time to cuddle up with an easy read book and just fill yourself up with um, these lessons. And, you know, I had you share great lessons and they are willing to share this didn't go well, but because of this. And so I think teachers after reading, not only will feel inspired, but they'll have a few extra tools in their tool belt of like, Oh, you know, maybe I could try that or let, let me um, adapt this for my class. So I think there's just multiple benefits to reading that. So speaking of how do people get their hands on it? Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. Books are sold. Um, Roman and Littlefield is the publisher, so you can find it on their website, but on Amazon, if you look up Julie Warner, uh, failure before success, you'll find it there. Okay, cool. I do want to be respectful of your time, but before I let you go, I wanted to just ask you, how do you reignite that passion and potential as an educator? And I know the pandemic has been one of the times that's sucked out everyone's passion. Is there something you do when you start to feel that light dim a bit? Yeah, I think for me, it's learning something new and maybe something that I don't see a direct relationship to my teaching practice or whatever I'm, I'm doing professionally at the moment. Um, I think something that you're drawn to to learn more about will have applications and have the potential to reignite your passion. Um, and if not, it just might fill up your cup. I mean, we don't want to not you know, continue to learn new things that we're curious about just because we're supposed to be in that teaching role imparting information. I know um, for me, it was all about going to conferences. I was at every conference I could get my mm-hmm. hand on trying to pick up new techniques and strategies. Um, later, reading education journals, just reading something that stuck out to me that I, maybe I didn't even know what it was all about um, would would reignite. Um, and, you know, I'm also a big fan of the casual coffee chat with someone just pick the brain of someone I admire just ask ask if they'll take a few minutes with you and see what you can learn just from a casual conversation yeah it shifts your mind to something new which then is exciting which then reinvigorates you so a a new skill or or deciding hey what's the area I want to grow in why don't I go learn about it in the way that I like to learn read a book podcast you were mentioning chatting with people so there's lots of ways to do that and I hope people feel encouraged that 
It is normal to get into a rut in any career, so please don't feel like this is just education. If you were somewhere else when you're doing the same thing for a while, it can get like that. When stress gets really bad, especially now with the pandemic, it could get like that. But there are little things you can do, like Julie's mentioned, that will help shift your focus and change your mindset and get you to think about something new, which is exciting. So I do appreciate you for sharing that. Can you tell us how to connect with you if we want to ask questions or just follow your journey? Yeah, I would love that. My website is juliemwarner.com and you can find all of the ways to connect with me there. And um, if you want to reach out on Twitter, I'm at new literacy. Okay, great. That sounds awesome. I appreciate you so much for coming on here and being willing to even reach out and ask to share a little bit about your story. I think it's beneficial to everyone who is listening. And I thank you for all the risks you've taken in your journey. I think not only has it gotten you super far, but I think it's a great lesson to others too. You don't have to live in the little box that you started in and that great things can flourish when you're willing to try something new. So thanks so much, Julie. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for all you're doing to fortify and uplift teachers. I appreciate you so much. We'll chat soon. Okay, take care. All right, y'all. That was a great conversation with Julie. She is so inspiring and she's such a risk taker. She just does so many different things and pushed herself in new directions and has really flourished, not just as an educator herself, but in what she's able to then provide value to all the other educators. So if you lead teachers, highly encourage you to keep stepping out of your comfort zone because that makes you a stronger leader, stronger educator. Um, and those of you who are not interested in leaving the classroom, that is totally fine. We need great teachers in the classroom, but there are still ways that you can can grow outside of your comfort zone as well. So please take Julie up on her offer to connect with her on social media or through her website, shoot her an email. She is really looking forward to having a conversation with you. And Julie, if you're listening, thank you for being an active listener of the podcast, but thank you even more for coming on and sharing your story. I surely appreciate you. All right, Elite Educators, that's a wrap for this week's special edition interview podcast with Julie Warner. Now go ahead and be great because you've just been empowered.